Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Picture List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. And I'm your host, Jake Mache. And we are joined today by friend of the pod, uh, Bradley Smart. Hope you all remember Bradley from joining us last year. Today we're getting ready for, we're getting you ready for college baseball regionals, eventually the College World Series. It's not only an exciting time to watch these games uh, just as a baseball fan, but especially for our dynasty folks, our deep dynasty folks, it helps you lock in on some draft eligible players about a month or so before MLB draft coverage really kicks in the gear. So you might be able to get a leg up on your FYPD strategy before your league mates. Um, and with Bradley joining us, uh, like I said, he joined us last year. If, if you all recall, talked through some college baseball in a college baseball preview. Now we're going to be able to actually talk about playoffs. Um, Bradley, first and foremost, thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always fun to, to get on here. Yeah, um, we got a lot to ask you. Um, we're actually going to forego our normal this week in baseball because we have so much that we want to get into. And uh, if you could, could you kind of just set the general stage for us as far as the regionals overall? Like, what are some of the major storylines uh, that we can look for, especially if, if you're unfortunately like myself, wasn't able to get as deep into college baseball as I really wanted to. So, you know, just teams to know. I saw there's a little dust up with uh, Kansas State. There's some controversy there. Um, so, you know, just kind of, like I said, set the stage for us. What should we know getting started? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, college baseball is one of the most entertaining postseasons, uh, you know, in any sport. Uh, it's 64 teams grouped into 16 regionals uh, where there's, you know, four in each. It's, it's double elimination. And there's so much talent uh, in the college level, especially with, you know, the COVID year sort of hiccup and eligibility waivers. Guys are in college for longer and the draft shrunk. So, you know, there's just so much talent on all these teams. Uh, I think it's it's a really balanced field. There's a lot of I think all of the, the regionals are going to be really competitive. There's no really every so often there's some seeds and stuff where it seems like, oh, this team's got an easier path. Um Big storyline with regionals this year is the SEC uh, dominating. Uh, so the way the way it works is for those not familiar is there's 16 host sites and those are the 16 national seeds um, and eight of them. So half of the you know stadiums where these games are going to be played are from the SEC, which is a record. And you know there's a lot of people that go both ways on that, but at the end of the day, the SEC's won the last three titles. And, you know, four or five. Uh, and so it's it's no surprise there. Um, but in terms of specific teams, the the number one overall seed is is not an SEC team. It is uh, it was seemed like it was going to be LSU for a while, you know, with, with Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens. 
but it's actually Wake Forest out of the ACC who had just a dominant year. Uh, they've got some guys we'll, we'll definitely talk about here. Um, another contender out of the ACC is Clemson, who, you know, they've won, I think, like 16 straight to end the year. Uh, and then, of course, you could you could list off SEC teams as contenders. There's Arkansas, Florida. Uh, Florida's the, the two overall. Um, and, you know, LSU, like I said. And then Vanderbilt uh, just won the SEC championship. So it's it's going to be a good one. That's for sure. So really exciting stuff. I, I love to hear. It, it's funny because, um, as I mentioned on previous podcasts, like um basketball fan as well. So I think about how the SEC has started to transform basketball, obviously football. We know what it does for college football. And now it's like, and now it, it has come for college baseball as well, um, especially over the last few years. And it's like, I'm, I'm old. So I, I never was able to follow college baseball super closely, but I remember hearing at least like uh, in the sort of late eighties, nineties, it was like Texas, Rice, Stanford. You would hear like an LSU every now and then something like that. Um, but now it's just very interesting. Obviously, Vanderbilt, like their program, Tennessee, like you said, LSU, all these schools, Arkansas. So it's just really interesting to see the SEC dominance yet again, yet another sport um, to, to give their way um, in the South. And uh, while we think about storylines, we definitely want to talk about uh, kind of return to check in on some of the players that we covered in our preview episode. That was episode 43. Um, earlier this year but before we get into that I guess my general question to you is hey I do want to get your take on the Kansas State situation I literally just read about it earlier today we're recording um, just so folks know we're recording Tuesday night so the regionals obviously have been set but it's before games have started so we're kind of sneaking it in by the time you hear this games will have been underway Um, but could you explain to the audience kind of like what the Kansas State sort of controversy is and any thoughts that you might have on it? I don't know where you fall on, on the <laughs> argument. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the Kansas State situation sort of stems out of anytime there's a selection show, there's going to be teams that don't get picked and feel like they have a really strong case to being picked. And I think what we saw this year and we've seen, you know, year in and year out with the selection committee is they go pretty much exclusively. I don't want to say exclusively because there's a lot of criteria they take in, but they look at RPI or ratings percentage index as a as a measure. Um, you know, I think like 14 of the 16 hosts were in the top 16 in RPI, um, and so what that sort of fails to account for and angers teams like Kansas State and you know a couple West Coast teams like you know UC Irvine uh, and, and USC and stuff is. RPI is meant to, you know, compare teams that never play each other or are, are far with totally different opponents and everything. But what ends up happening is a lot of these, these, you know, schools on the East Coast and stuff can play all these talented teams in, in the midweek games between their weekend series. But then a team like Kansas State doesn't have as many options, can't, you know, travel as far. It, it's a midweek game. And so their RPI suffers as a result. And so Pete Hughes, the the head coach, uh, put out a statement today, and and it it rightfully is is like we need change. Uh, and I think if you look at any outlet, Baseball America, D one Baseball, they all had columns up after the selection show, and they were all kind of saying the same thing. It's like this isn't working because um, you know you're getting teams that 
try to do everything they can to get in with a, the schedule that they can put together. And then they just, they don't quite make it. So the two things that I saw kind of the two, the two sides of that argument, and I appreciate you giving us the, the additional context there. Um, I saw one side that was kind of like pro Kansas state saying um, they're head to head to Oklahoma or Oklahoma state. I think it was Oklahoma, right? It was like, we beat them and we're like, you know, we have a better conference, right? Like all these different things. And I think your your what you presented Bradley was, is really important of saying RPI, especially as it's applied really in, in all the college sports you think about uh, its popularity first in college basketball, but also in college baseball, like you said, it, it's, really for two disparate teams, right? Completely different conferences, um, strength of schedule, et cetera. Like there's no way to, to really compare them in any other route. So we have to come up with this sort of, you know, metric. But I think it, it sounded like, and it looks like Kansas State's point is like, no, we actually played a team that got in and got like a high seed. We played them. They play in the same conference. Like it actually is apples to apples without needing this extra metric. And if you look at just the apples to apples stuff, we should at least be in, if not, you know, be in and be a high seed if, you know, this other team makes it in. So that was like one side, which makes sense. And it sounds like that's kind of where you're coming from. So that's cool. I saw another argument, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. On the other side, to say, if Kansas State wasn't scheduling like all these cream puff non-conference, they would have had more wins, and then it would be a moot point. And I think that that's always, A, to be fair, it seemed like a lot of Oklahoma fans were saying this. <laughs> so obviously you take that with a grain of salt. But I think, again, with college sports, that's always sort of the the back and forth of, hey, you take this easy money because we know there's obviously money involved. We get these easy wins, you know, up front. The lesser teams, quote unquote, the less talented teams, they want to get the payday. And, hey, if I get to be on ESPN and we get blown out, that's okay because I get some extra money coming to my program. But then when it comes playoff time or selection time, that ends up biting the sort of power five teams in the butt for having too many of those. So I guess I, I bring that up to say, is there any outside of the Oklahoma bias, <laughs> is there any sort of um, actual credit to that argument of saying like, if Kansas State just had better non-conference then, and won those games, then it really would have been a moot point. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so difficult too because like they they beat a good uh, I'm blanking on the name, but they had a good series against the team at the start of the year, and everyone was like, "Oh, this team, you know, uh, non conference series, uh, they won that series," and that was a team when you was that them. sorry was that Youngstown State or no. Baylor? Because I'm just looking at the schedule. It looks like they swept Youngstown State, played well against Army. Uh, they lost to LSU, but I mean, everyone was losing to LSU. But it looks like they started really strong in the non-conference, looking at the schedule, like you were saying. Okay, yeah, here it is. Down in, it was it was later in the year. Yeah, they went to UC Irvine, who got snubbed, and took two out of three from them. Um, so, road series win in California against, against a good team. The issue is, so at the time, on paper, that's a top 50 series win. That looks really good. UC Irvine closes the year not as good. I think they – I forget who they played the last weekend. And they fall out of the top 50, and so Kansas State loses, you know, two of these three, like, top 50 wins that make your resume look better. And so I think there's a lot of nuances with RPI that anger people, but I think the big thing that Kansas State does have, like, the the stat they did have that it seems like it wasn't really considered is the head-to-head -head where it's like 
okay, these teams are kind of similar in RPI. How can we break this tie? And it's like, well, they played each other. Um, so I think it's I think it's tricky. And I think until there's more, I think, clarity into how committees are making these decisions, I think there's always going to be like fan bases um, and coaches even that are going to be like, hey, this isn't this doesn't work for me. And with the with the schedule, another point too. So you you mentioned that the the midweek games are difficult because you know you can't travel as far. And so I, I'm looking at the midweek games right now. I could like um, tell you exactly what they were here. It was Creighton, St. Thomas, Air Force, Nebraska, Creighton again, Wichita State twice, UC Riverside. None of those teams made the tournament. So and those are all geographically really close to Kansas State. You know, there I think. And where else in Kansas, around Kansas, is there like a, a, even more programs that are like that caliber? Maybe Iowa, who made the tournament this year, who isn't perennial. Um, and I can't think of much else, you know, outside of their conference. And so it's a really difficult situation, I think, to be in for, you know, specifically those kind of the Midwest Great Plains teams who don't have a lot of competition anywhere near, you know, where you could travel because these are games are on like Tuesday night usually. Um, and so it's it's tough. Yeah, I mean you're you're only playing bus ride opponents uh, in the week and or during the the weekdays, and this kind of gets at another thing with the Northeast teams. So I covered Boston College for for a few years, and they had a very strong argument to be a host team this year, um, and they didn't, and their RPI was just slightly outside of the the you know what what they were using for for a hosting criteria, and a part of that is like. BC, other than, you know, UConn and North, Northeastern, most of the teams they're playing in these midweek games are teams that are not like they're outside the top 200 in RPI. And it's, there's nothing you can really do about it. You can't like you, you, they do these long trips to start the year to get a lot of games in, but it's, it's, it's tough to know who is going to be good and help your RPI and who's going to end up just like not. <laughs> Right. And then there's always the weather component, right? Northeast is obviously cold, especially to start the baseball season it tends to be cold. So you got dealing with either bad weather games or, you know, rainouts and trying to figure out, are you going to make them up, et cetera, et cetera, or, or you know, shorten games. So it's like, well, they called it after, you know, six, seven innings. Is that really, you know, does that really hold the same weight as a full nine inning game, you know, later on in, in the year? Uh, and, and the West Coast teams and the Southern teams obviously don't have that same sort of uh, constraint, right? It's, it's nicer weather, generally speaking, for a longer period of time. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, I, I and, and more reasons why I wanted you on the show, Brad, because I know you're tapped in. You mentioned uh, covering BC and we were talking off mic. Um, you kind of made a pivot. If you want to talk about that, I know the last time we had you on, you were like BC-centric. And you were to let me know that uh, in, in that time span, you kind of made more of a pivot to be more general college, kind of all the teams or as much as many of the teams as you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I was I was already pretty, you know, into the all of D1 college baseball as a whole, um, you know, a lot of stat based stuff. And so I was thinking, oh, like, you know, maybe take a take a detour from, you know, covering one team for a bit. Um, and it's been really great. A lot of a lot of good engagement um, and yeah, really enjoyed following kind of the whole landscape. And so you were letting me know that uh, people can find you on Twitter at Friday starters, correct? Yep. Yeah. At Friday starters. 
Perfect. So we'll obviously have that in the show notes so you guys can give Bradley a follow. And um, with that uh, with that account, is it um, a lot of stat-based stuff? Is it videos kind of a mixture of, of a little bit of everything? Yeah, so it's it's definitely a lot of uh, stat-based stuff. Um, I tried a lot during the, the course of the regular season to, you know, bring some attention to teams that, you know, might not always get uh, a lot of attention. And now we're really... Uh, really focused in on on the tournament um so a lot of preview content uh where teams fall in the the national rankings hitters to look out for stuff like that so if you're interested in following the tournament at all definitely definitely a place to to check out perfect uh and i know that was that was kind of <laughs> what we were discussing here was like well the regionals are out and and brad was letting me know like hey man i'm gonna be swamped with like trying to get content out so when can we get an episode um actually recorded because he's going to be a busy busy man so definitely make sure you give him a follow so you can keep up to date with what's going on in college baseball um this season and obviously going forward uh what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about some of the players that we previewed uh, earlier in the season, how they're doing uh, before we get into some names to know in the college regionals. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we are back um, with Bradley Smart previewing the NCAA men's uh, college baseball regionals and the college baseball tournament. And so before we get into new names, names that we haven't talked about before and, and hopefully uh, some names that maybe you haven't even heard mentioned that often that we think are, are going to be valuable to you from a dynasty standpoint. We want to check in on some players that we covered. And um, Bradley and I had a really good conversation uh, uh, via Twitter, um, just in, in the in the DMs about like, hey, uh, there are some players that we want to make sure we don't forget <laughs> that we talk about <laughs> that weren't on the outline. So we want to make sure that we at least give a little bit of credence to the, to the big three, I guess, as they're going to be. Um, going through the rest of this tournament and definitely going into uh, the MLB draft. That's, of course, is Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, and Wyatt Langford, um, all SEC guys, uh, two LSU and one Florida. And uh, we don't want to go too deep on them because we're sure if you don't know any college baseball players, you know at least one of those three guys, if not all three. But, Bradley, I did want to turn it your way. Um, and Jake definitely chime in, too. Just, you know, some quick thoughts. I don't know how much more can be said about Dylan Cruz that hasn't already been said, but anything that comes to mind um, before we get into uh, checking in with some of these other players that we covered. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy with those three, like, and and then the, I think the two high school hitters as well. Is I've, I've seen some things where it's like, these are all like 1-1 one, one guys. Um, 
you know, Jenkins and Clark as well, where it's like they're all in the same the same draft. And so I think I think Cruz is is the favorite uh, from what I've what I've seen. Uh, but I mean, all the guy does is hit and just watching him, you know, he's he's in a lineup where Tommy White is hitting behind him, who's just also a phenomenal hitter and big name for for next year. Um, but yeah, if, if you haven't watched an LSU game, I would watch one because the watching those, oh, excuse me, watching those two go back to back is uh, is really cool. Um, and then obviously we have Paul Skeens who has really come on and, and I actually want to kind of hold Skeens for a second because I feel like you can't talk without talk about him without talking about somebody else that I want to get into. So I'm going to hold Skeens. Um, Langford, I'll be honest, Langford is probably out of the three, the one that I've read the least about just not having done my full due diligence myself. So maybe you can give me a quick education um, on, on what to know about Wyatt Langford. Yeah, I mean... Langford's also just just such a great hitter and his he's got more I think he's got more power than Cruz um arguably uh he you know with college hitting in particular he doesn't whiff much and pretty much controls the zone at the plate he missed a bit of time earlier this year uh with an injury but I think I think he took a ball off the you know not where you want to take a ball off of um but he's still like up near the top of the SEC in, in a ton of uh, stat categories. And, you know, him, he as well has got got quite a lineup around him at Florida. But it's just another guy out of that school that's just very, very talented. So, um, Skeens, like I said, I wanted to hold him for a second because I feel like you can't talk about Skeens without talking about uh, one of the pictures that we highlighted. Again, that was episode 43 when Jake and I did our college uh, preview episode. And going into the season, we were talking about Chase Dollander of Tennessee. And he was like, the, he was the only guy that could possibly push Dylan Cruz as being the number one overall. He's definitely going to be the top pitching prospect taken regardless. And things have not really turned out the way we thought they were going to for Mr. Dolander. And um, Paul Skeens is kind of part of that equation because Skeens was known, but right? he didn't come completely out of nowhere. But at the time, it seemed like, and, and this is, again, me uh, being a little bit outside of my uh, comfort zone, so I'm relying on a lot of other people's interpretation, but it seemed like it was a sizable gap between how Dollander was kind of considered uh, amongst analysts and scouts versus where Skeens was. And Skeens, from kind of the get-go, closed <laughs> and surpassed as far as that gap uh, with Dollander. So, uh, I have kind of a singular question to get us started, but definitely take us wherever you want. Um, this season seemed to have hurt Dollander's draft stock overall, but is there or what could he do in this postseason to maybe raise it back to some kind of recoup some of what he lost through the regular season? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. He, yeah, I mean. Last year, ten and zero, like sub two four ERA, hundred something strikeouts in seventy innings, or however however many ended up throwing, and those are unbelievable numbers, especially you know sophomore in the SEC. And I think I can't I can't tell you what's gone wrong this year for him. I think sometimes it seems in in a few of the starts I've seen, his fastball isn't isn't playing as well. He's he's working a lot harder this year than he was last year. Um, and that's kind of true of Tennessee as a whole, you know, outside of a draft prospect, that team was unbelievable last year and has really had to grind, uh, to where they are now. 
Um, I think in terms of stuff, he's he's fantastic, and the potential and upside there alone. I think he's a he's the number two, uh, the number two college arm, and I think I'm sure whoever ends up taking him will have you know looked through all his starts, been like, okay, here's maybe what wasn't going uh, his way this year because he's got a good track record. He has you know I think he's gone up to 99. Um, he's he's a, he's a very talented pitcher and. It's it's just you know it's baseball like, and it's he's plays in the hardest league in the country with you know all the pressure on him. So I think, I think he he's he's better than his numbers this year. Um, and I I'm sure most scouts aren't really looking at the numbers uh, right. and more at what he's what he's got. Um, speaking of schemes, keeping keeping schemes in the conversation. Uh, if if I if you were the GM. And I asked you, like, okay, cool, cruise off the board. Uh, let's say you're you, you're not going with Langford for whatever reason. So, like, you're going with a pitcher. Dollander, you said, like, upside is there, stuff is there, numbers, okay, took a step back, but that's all right. And then you look at what Skeens has done. Who are you t- who are you taking? Who's who's your guy? Yeah, I mean, if, if we're talking the real the real draft situation, I think I think it's the Nationals, and I think I'm I'm pretty sure uh, their GM will be like, oh, this is like another Strasburg. Um, in terms of you know a workhorse arm, every time Skeens goes out, he's he's throwing seven innings, he's bumping 102, uh, and to top it all off, like he last year was at Air Force and was a two way player, like he. This this year, I think one of the biggest things with his jump is he went, became a pitcher only, and was under the tutelage of you know a former major league baseball pitching coach, and so th- that combination of things alone is like, well, this might just be the start. Like this is a guy who you could see jumping into the minor leagues, cruising, uh, you know, moving pretty quickly, uh, and and having an impact. You know, I don't want to say Strasburg because you know that's those are big shoes to fill. But it's the last guy that had these kind of numbers, like 170 strikeouts in 90 innings. The last college pitcher that came close to that, like strikeout per nine rate, was Strasburg at San Diego State. And so, I think I think it's I think Skeens will go before him. And I think a lot of it too is just like what he's doing in the SEC is is you know unheard of. Yeah, like to um, with that point with Skeens, you, you talked earlier about how Dollander was was so good last season and you know kind of faltered a little bit this year. But even like comparing how good Dollander was last year to how good Skeens was this year, uh, last year Dollander had 108 strikeouts in 79 innings, and this year Skeens, uh, like you just mentioned, had 167 and 90.1, and Skeens had a sub two ERA. Uh, 1.89 and Dollander last year at a 2.39 and like Lamar we talked about Dollander you know before the season started like the the amount of hype surrounding him going into the season was insane um, he was like the one that you had to talk about like bar none and we just saw someone perform like a solid like full step ahead of what he was able to do last year and so um, like it's just it, what I mean. Like you said, it's the best conference in the country. They have eight of the top sixteen seeds, and to propose those results is just—I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, the guy's—he's yeah. striking out forty-eight no, percent of opposing batters. 
48 percent like yeah. 30 is is remarkable that's like peak um edwin diaz or like craig kimbrell yeah like in, right. in relief roles and like 60 right. innings you know <laughs> right. yeah 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 I, I was gonna say um you know it makes me think that uh when we come back to talking about some of these names for our draft um episode when we do that i'll be interested to see um and, and definitely watching the draft like does Dollander maybe slip a little bit and maybe there's some value that that somebody looks up on because just that the numbers of not just uh schemes but the next picture that i want to talk about are lofty enough and there's such uh, great hitting talent that maybe you know a, a couple of teams it's kind of that momentum thing two three teams pass on him then three four teams pass on him and then maybe he's you know number seven number eight number nine instead of being you know number two number three like we originally thought so that'll be very interesting to watch and i'll definitely be interested to see how he does in the postseason um because like i said i i think you know uh every college sports that's always a place you know the the t you're you're on tv the lights are on It's the high stakes games that you're going to play and having great performances there and leading your team on i mean we've seen it uh, like I said, in every sport, really boost guys' draft and tank some guys' draft uh, stock as well um, with not showing up. I know baseball, out of the the three sports, are, are it's kind of the least um, affected in that way just because of the nature of the game. But still, you never know. Chase Dallander puts on a couple of lights-out performances, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, there he is. There's the guy that we've been waiting for. Um, so the other picture that I wanted to talk about and the question that I have is, is this guy actually the second best draft eligible college pitcher? And that's from the number one team that you were talking about, Wake Forest, Rhett Lauder, who was somebody that jumped onto my radar. Uh, when we did the preview episode, I was kind of mentioning like, oh, this is a guy that I could kind of get behind as far as he um, is not as necessarily polished as Dollander or, or as Skeens. But again, that upside of like, you get him in the right system and he could be just as good at the major league level as either of those guys or anybody else. So is there a case to be made, especially given his team's ranking and, and, and output that louder actually trumps Dollander and is right behind Skeens as far as being the best pitcher. Yeah. I mean, I, I looked at a mock draft this morning and I think it had uh Dolander at eight and louder at nine. So I think it really comes down to what, what the teams see in them. And I think the the impressive thing with Louder, I saw him last year uh, pitching against Boston College because uh, he's in the ACC, uh, BC, and Waycar. And he was the ACC pitcher of the year last year. Great year. Uh, you know, like three ERA, uh, over 100 strikeouts. And he just got better uh, this year. You know, he is 12-0 uh, and 0 in 15 starts, 1.69 ERA, uh, 114 strikeouts to 19 walks which is, those are absurd numbers. And I think it kind of speaks to uh, sort of two things. One, Wake Forest has uh, a pitching lab that's been, you know, in the works uh, for a few years and it's producing impressive results. Uh, and I think he's, you know, I don't know how much of, he's, he's been a good pitcher for two, two years now. Um, and I think Wake's developing well. Uh, I think the one thing, the difference between him and, you know, Dolander, I, I think it comes down to the stuff. I think Louder might be more polished, honestly. He he walks less. Uh, you know, he 
more efficient by far this year. Uh, it seems like every start is it's like Skeens. He's going seven innings. But I think in terms of pure, like if you're looking at, you know, pitch grades, his, his pure stuff, I think that's why Dolander has the edge there. I don't think it, it's it's the results this year. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Um, the stuff uh, sort of question is always interesting, especially when you think about college and like how is that going to translate? Um, because it's always, I mean, obviously it's, it's super difficult. Um, but I, I don't know. I think I'm seeing it through Lamar bias. I'll be honest. Cause I'm, I'm a type of guy where it's like, I'll take the lesser stuff guy, but if he's showing like just that pitchability of like, he knows how to mix what he has, get strikes. Like you said, be efficient, right? So he's not wasting pitches. He's not wasting energy. He's not giving guys extra, um, pitches to see or uh, prolonging at bats for the hitter, right? Because like they don't need additional help, so he's not wasting a lot of pitches. He's going after guys. I'm like, yeah, the guy who's grading 160 on you know stuff plus is awesome, but I'll take the guy that's 130, but he can get strikeouts in a in a that that mental capacity. Um, but again, that's that's Lamar bias. I will completely admit that. <laughs> Jake, did you want to add anything about Louder? Yeah, I was just gonna. I I pulled up a scouting report here um, from Cle from geez, three quarter slot dot com. I don't know why I had trouble saying that, but um, so yeah, Louder's fastball sits ninety two ninety five. Uh, has more sink to it. Uh, has two variations of a slider, uh, more of like a, a cutter uh, version of it. Um, and then he has a one that's deeper with more uh, with more break. And those sit between 82 and 86. And then he has a change as well in the mid to high 80s. Um, so, yeah, so it's like it's it's a lot different than the the Dollander kind of blow you away. Um, but, you know, it also comes with the control issues and whatnot. Um, you know, and just looking at then the, the strikeout numbers, um, I have Louders pulled up here. He had 114 and 95.2 innings pitched, um, which, you know, even with the issues that Dollander had, he was still um, able to accrue 108 strikeouts. And in, in, that's 2022. Uh, let me get 2023 here. I just I had to I had to switch for a stat. And then now it's like I'm all all messed up here. So if I go to pitching, okay, so 107 and 73.2, nearly identical between the two years, which is nice. But, um, you know, so it's like you're looking at kind of like that high velocity, high strikeout guy with, you know, maybe some command that needs to be worked on versus someone who, like you guys are saying, is much more pitchability, a bit more pitch to contact, um, and a lot like, you know, soft contact, run suppression. Um, and I think it really is, it's going to be interesting which teams take these guys because like, mm -hmm. we know some organizations are stuff first, um, and we'll fix the command later. And then, you know, some organizations are like, oh, we want a pitcher, not a thrower. And, um, mm -hmm. which that phrase has all sorts of issues, but you know, a lot of people really still like, like, give me someone who can command his pitches, who has multiple pitches, who, um, you know, can sequence well and whatnot and, and knows that side of it. And so it'll be really interesting to see the kind of profile that is enticing to which teams in the first round. I think that might kind of be the deciding factor as to who goes first is what teams are in that like seven to 12 range of the draft. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one, one thing to note on that sort of pitch ability and command is, Dolander wasn't walking guys really last year. He was at like 4% walk rate and this year it's eight. So that, that alone is going to cause you, you know, your numbers across the board are going to go up because you're working longer. Uh, even if you're not, you know, just a walks 
it's worse worst way to extend an inning um mm-hmm. and so i think that's something too that it's like well what what changed like kind of like what i was saying earlier where it's like oh is something like maybe your foot's landing wrong your, your delivery something's out of hitch um and so i think that's something that that'll probably be considered as well yeah and and uh there's a really good point you're talking about essentially like doubling that walk rate now yes eight percent is still like quite favorable in the grand scheme of things but when you look at what that still will do um you know men on base that you have to pitch with and then you know getting into mechanics if you're pitching you know either stretch more often then your mechanics are going to be a little bit different than if you're coming out of the windup so all these little you know tidbits that could be you know potentially impacting um with dollander and then with louder it's interesting again it's, uh, i shouldn't even say again but looking at that fastball and, and what you're reading there jake what team is going to look at that and say oh no we can work with that like it's okay that it's not going to be touching triple digits if we can um, make sure that he understands how to keep that ball down at all times and to continue to build that movement um, to keep it down to get weak if not no contact to get weak contact um, and then to build change up and then two breaking balls off of it like that's that's okay like he doesn't have to have huge strikeout numbers if we, you know, if it's a team that has really good infield defense, they can say, okay, you know, cutter, that means a lot of, you know, ground balls. Sinker, that's going to be a lot of ground balls. That's okay. We got guys around here that are going to be able to hoover that up, get out. Like, it's, you know, it's okay. You don't have to try to get everybody out. You can let there be some contact as long as it's down in the zone in these parts. If there's a team that goes after them like that, or if there's a team that says, oh, no, we can, you know, fiddle or tinker or you know, building some more velo or something. So that's always, you know, we can save that for the MLB draft pod, but that's always something interesting to look at. Um, two more names that we want to check in on uh, before we get into these new names. One is uh, Enrique Bradfield from Vanderbilt, and the other is Matt Shaw of Maryland. For Bradfield, uh, the biggest question I have is, has he shown enough power for us in the in the fantasy community to really see him as, being more of an overall potential asset versus just a speed first guy. We know the speed is there. And and we had kind of like three different outcomes that we had mapped out for him in the preview episode. Uh, Kenny Lofton was kind of like 90th percentile, right? Like everything is really going right for you. Juan Pierre was kind of our middle. And then Jared Dyson was like, he can run fast. <laughs> he can run fast. He can play the outfield well even if there's really nothing else to go for his game. And we know Dyson has World Series rings, multiple, just from that skill alone. Um, so with with Bradfield, and I was looking at his numbers, he actually had less home runs, but more doubles than last year. So I think it actually added up to being um, more extra base hits overall. But, you know, in your opinion, is there enough power there that you can see him being an everyday outfielder um, from an offensive standpoint, not, not even thinking about the defense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one thing to consider, especially if you're thinking, you know, fantasy in the future, is like if you're looking at a guy that you're concerned about, like playing time or whatever, uh, like even making it, you know, average and stuff, is to consider like if he's if he's you know seventieth percentile hitter in the majors. I saw this analogy on on Twitter. He's still going to provide a team, you know a couple wins alone on his defense and base running ability. And that, you know, that's intriguing in and of, in and of by itself, basically, because 
you know, he's he's a guy that any major league team can slot into their outfield. He's making catches that, you know, pretty much very few major leaguers are making as well. Um, just unbelievable speed. And so the concern around power and, and you know, what kind of hitter he is, is at the major league level is very fair because, you know, speed only gets you so far. Like we've seen all kinds of fast guys that end up hitting like a buck 80 and they're only in there for their defense. And then eventually a defender that's capable and hits, you know, a lot better takes their spot. But, you know, I think he's shown some signs this year of, of good contact, finding gaps. And I think it's, it's something that the, the speed and defense alone will get him opportunities. And I think he can, he'll develop into, you know, a solid, solid hitter. So, um, that is, it's a good uh, point that you make as, as far as the defense and base running kind of keeping, or at least uh, getting your foot in the door, right. As a prospect of like, okay, we can at least play him in some circumstances, even as we're trying to, uh, figure out his, uh, hit tool or figure out his power, whatever the case might be, I guess for Bradfield, um, when I think of, when I think about, I guess what I was trying to drive at with that question, right. Has he shown enough power? Um, even with the, the Kenny Lofton, like, again, like 90th percentile, essentially everything is going right for him. It's not like Kenny Lofton was a slugger, but even the doubles power, right. Even just being able to drive the ball right to, to, to all fields, being able to show some pull side power, right. If there's, if, if you come inside, he can get around on it, send it down right field, get a couple homers that way. Um, has there been anything that you've seen from Bradfield that indicates he can display that sort of um, ability? Or is there maybe some holes in the game where he might be you know, susceptible? A lot of times we see um, speed guys like this, they hit too many ground balls and too, you know, too much weak contact trying to rely on their speed, which, like you said, kind of only gets you but so far, or they hit way too many fly balls. And it's like, well, you got to find that middle ground um, so you can use your wheels. Have you seen any sort of gaps or holes like that in Bradford's game? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest concern is the one you're saying where it's, you know, he has issues, uh, you know, driving the ball. Uh, but I think I think with him, He's so he's very patient. You know, he's he walks more than he strikes out. Uh, he has he's pretty good uh, discipline, and I think with him, he can hit. I mean, he's hitting he's hitting two eighty, uh, which you know doesn't necessarily compare to you know when Cruz was hitting like four fifty earlier this year. But he he can hit and and make contact. I think I think the teams that I think a team that takes him is going to take him, knowing okay, this there's not much power here. Um, but there's just pure athleticism, you know, defensively on the bases, his good eye at the plate, and that's enough, you know, to, to try to bump up that hit tool, um, a bit more. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't forecast him becoming, you know, a home run guy. I don't think he has that power, but I think a, a gap to gap hitter, you know, with doubles is something that definitely could be in his future. And then, like I said, the last one to um, just return to is Matt Shaw from Maryland, and who's somebody that I kind of was gushing about during the preview episode because I was like, wow, looking at these guys' stats, 
Um, he's able to play shortstop. Looks like yeah, shortstop is uh, maybe not set as far as uh, what he would be at. The major league level would seem like third. Um, I saw he played some outfield in his past. So, you know, but he has some athleticism that he's not going to be a complete sort of defensive zero. They can find a spot for him um, uh, somewhere in the infield or potentially in the outfield. And then from a hit standpoint, seems like oh, – this guy, he, he can slug. He runs well. He's got double-digit stolen bases uh, every season, it looks like. Um, I, I, the question I originally had was, is he poised for a big coming-out party? Let me rephrase that. Is like, is Matt Shaw underrated? Like, why doesn't seem like more people are talking about this guy, at least amongst college hitters? Yeah, I mean, I think Matt Shaw's one of his biggest deficiencies is he plays in the Big Ten, which is not very good at baseball as a mm-hmm. whole. Um, there's talent. Obviously, there's a lot of talent. Uh, but they, I think they put two or three three teams in the field this year. Um, but, yeah, Shaw's been a good name to follow. He hit, like, 360 on the Cape with the Wood Bats. Uh, you know, 20-plus home runs in his last two seasons at Maryland. Uh, that whole team is a big home run team. Uh, Nick LaRusso and Luke Schleiger are two other names on that team that are, are good uh, good bats. Um, but yeah, I mean, underrated in the sense that, you know, Maryland doesn't get a lot of the baseball headlines. Uh, I think if he was in the sec, he'd get more attention, but I think scouts and, and a lot of, you know, front offices, they're all, they're aware of him. And, and I think he probably, I think you're right. I think he profiles more as a second baseman, uh, long-term, but yeah, definitely, definitely a talented bat. Uh, he's going up against Wake Forest this weekend too. Uh, so that should be a good test uh, for him. Yeah, Wake Forest's team ERA this year is uh, 2.82. <laughs> yes, yeah. and they also, they also play in, I don't know if you've seen, if you watched any Wake Forest games, but they play in an absolute launching pad. It is a small park that is very home run friendly. And so the fact that Wake Forest leads the country in ERA Playing half their games there is absurd. With a, with aluminum bats, um, <laughs> yeah. Jake they, Jake they got to talk to they they got to uh, you know clue Cincinnati in on whatever they've been doing. <laughs> they oh gotta my get god, the man. Sauce. Yeah, if only it was that easy, right? <laughs> oh man. But um, no, this is awesome. Um, so those are you know checking in on on the the guys that we talked about, some of the guys that we talked about through our. Um, preview episode and obviously those weren't all the names i wanted to highlight players that we had talked about that are going to be playing uh in the college regional some of those names that we highlighted in the preview episode their teams did not make the college regional so um their season is is done uh so we want to kind of talk about some some guys that you're still going to get a chance to matt shaw versus wake forest that sounds like a matchup i definitely want to be paying attention to um with that being said we're going to take one more break we're going to come back Got some new names, uh, some interesting names, and definitely in my opinion, uh, that we're going to talk to Bradley Smart about right after this. All right, and we are back. So, Bradley, we we talked about, um, you set the scene for us beautifully. Appreciate that. We talked about kind of some guys that we had previewed uh, earlier this year, where they're standing now. Now we're going to get into names that we haven't mentioned at all on this podcast and some names that, uh, you know, again, if you're in dynasty, uh, especially those deep dynasty leagues where you have, you know, 20 plus minor league spots, 
FYPD, you want to get a jump on it as soon as possible. Don't wait for the draft coverage. Don't wait till after the draft. You want to get on it as early as possible. Um, so these are some names that I was looking at stats. I was looking at some video. Um, I didn't get to the pictures. Jake, you're going to have to clue me on the pictures because you filled those lines in, and I want to know, um, you know, more about that. But first and foremost, we have Tommy Troy. Great name, by the way. That's just that's sixth grade baseball name right there. Uh, Tommy Troy, second baseman from Stanford. Just to give the audience the, the quick stat line, 394, 473, 707. That's the triple slash. Okay, got my attention. 14 home runs, that's a career high. You're going to hear me say this about a lot of these guys, by the way. I have it in the notes. So 14 home runs for Troy, that's a career high. 15 doubles, that matches a career high for him. Uh, 14.5K rate against 10.7% walk rate. 17 stolen bases and 18 attempts. And I just have one note here. I watched a little bit of quick video just to kind of, you know, wet, wet the whistle, so to speak. And he has some incredibly quick hands through the zone, Bradley. Like, his swing... At first, I thought it was kind of Tulowitzki, and then I looked at him side by side, and that's not really a good comp. But just looking at Troy, how he gets um, his hands through, every pitch, didn't matter kind of where it was in the zone. He's getting through incredibly fast and with a lot of power, as you can see. Um, what else should we be knowing about Troy that on that Stanford team? Yeah, I mean, he's another guy like Shaw, which he's he's underappreciated, I think. Um, not by not by scouts. I mean, this is a, a consensus, you know, this is a top half of the first round guy. Um, but yeah, last year he was a top pro prospect in the Cape Cod League, uh, which is <laughs> no small uh, feat. And yeah, inc- incredibly quick hands is, is a good way to put it. Um, he's really good barrel feel. And I think he's he's second baseman uh, as a as a prospect, but yeah, he's really the engine that makes that Stanford team team go, and and they're a fun team. Uh, just as a a plug to to tune into them, they are the only West Coast team hosting a regional, so all the regionals are you know over on the, the southeast uh, or you know east side of the map, and then you've got uh, Stanford uh, all the way on the other side, um, but. Uh, yeah, Troy's Troy's a good good name to follow. Um, so moving, st- staying with kind of Western teams. Um, actually, as I look through, a lot of these teams are actually Western teams. That's that's interesting to, to note here. Um, but this guy, he literally just uh, his name just came to me. Didn't had not heard about him. Feel very dumb that I hadn't heard about him, especially looking at what he did last year as a sophomore. But this is Chase Davis again. That's a sixty grade baseball name too love a guy i don't i will say uh, a, a hitter with chase that's kind of like 50 50 because like you don't want a hitter to chase but just generally speaking that's that's a that i would give that like a 50 55 you know sort of fb as far as a baseball name but chase davis outfielder for arizona um another robust stat line 369 496 757 career highs and home runs that's 21 home runs career highs and doubles 16 doubles uh just under 15% K rate, 15.5% walk rate. He hit 18 home runs as a sophomore. That was his previous career high. It looks like he has really good barrel control. Again, just saw some very quick video, um, so I haven't done a whole lot of research on him, but just what I saw, really good barrel control. I thought his mechanics were very interesting because he has like a very extreme bat wrap um, as a lefty. Like That bat really gets around his head, but he gets it through the zone, and he was getting to kind of everything as far as plate coverage um very well didn't hesitate to go the other way saw a couple 
um, hits that he had where you could see his head just focused up, saw the pitchers on the outer, outer half, didn't try to do uh, too much, was able to go the other way. Um, so Chase Davis, you, you guys know, audience should know, I love my outfield prospects. You know I love the toolsy outfielders. So, you know, talk to me about, about Chase Davis, Bradley. Yeah, yeah, this is a guy who his team uh, ended the the year on a heater. Uh, they made it into the NCAA tournament, which not without controversy. Um, but they went uh, all the way to the, I think the Pac-12 tournament final. Um, they got into the tournament, uh, you know, despite being I think like six games under 500 in Pac-12 play during the year. But long story short, big reason for that was Chase Davis who has just been absolutely going off. Um, I feel like every time I saw an Arizona baseball tweet, it was something to do with Chase Davis. And if you want to talk about a Rockies uh, swing comp, um, I saw Carlos Gonzalez uh, mocked up yep. against him. Yep, and I can see it. As soon as you said it, I knew exactly yep. where you're going with it. Yep. I, won't, I, I won't take credit for it, but I saw it, I saw someone put up the side-by-side, and I was like, yep, that's, that's pretty similar. And so, you know, Slugger, great – you know, strong swing. Um, I think some people think he has some of the best power in the class, uh, the college class. And this year, you know, it's it's been he's cut down on strikeouts from last year. He's you know hitting the ball harder. Uh, so yeah, that I think he's one of those guys that is just playing his way into you know just higher and higher up draft boards. Yeah, I quick note on him. I got. Uh... Some some stack has dead on him thanks to Mason McRae on Twitter, um, who is an act, like yeah a must follow if yeah. if you're into if you're into prospects at Mason underscore McRae. Um, so yeah, his zone contact is eighty eight point eight percent, which is better than Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford. Just to just to cherry pick here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also has Mixed a better. Up, <laughs> also has a better max exit velocity than both of them minimally, but it is better. It's one fifteen point six. Um, so like that violent swing, like when he gets the barrel on the ball. I mean. I, 115.6 i mean there's not a lot of guys we see do that and in the majors and you know it's against you know probably a meatball um with an aluminum bat of course so uh take it with a grain of salt but it is impressive nonetheless um average exit velocity 91.7 uh doesn't chase a whole lot 16.7 percent so it's a really well-rounded profile even with a really long aggressive swing um, and it's just watching him play. It, it really does remind you of Carlos Gonzalez. He was one of the more fun hitters to watch. And so it's really hard to temper expectations when you see that side by side and you think back to, to cargo and Coors and all that, but man, man this kid, I mean, he's, he's got pop and, um, it's, it'll be really cool to, to see him get some, uh, you know, tutelage in a, in a MLB organization. Um, I'm curious cause I did not look this up and I don't know, uh, Jake, if you have this up or Bradley, if you know, um, I have him as an outfielder, but is he center field mostly? Does he play in the corners? Is it a mixture? He's a he's a left fielder right now. Okay, I believe. Okay, so that's that's good to know, right? So obviously we know the 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 bar for left fielders a little bit different than when we look at center fielders or right fielders. Value is going to be different, right? Because we know defensively is not necessarily um, the calling card, so to speak. So that'll be interesting to, to note with Chase Davis if there is any sort of you know, strikeout issues, anything like that, it's going to be kind of hard for them to shift him somewhere else and say, well, the defense, you know, you see that sometimes with a right fielder or center field, like, well, the defense kind of makes up for some deficiencies there. Um, if he's kind of left field primarily, 
he's going to need to continue to hit uh, in order to make his way. So far, so good. He's off to obviously a tremendous start. Um, but you know, just some some interesting little tidbits to think about as we uh, as we think about our, our FYPD strategy and where we want to start uh, sort of ranking guys. And then the last hitter that we have here, third baseman, another lefty, um, Braden Taylor of TCU. So Braden doesn't have uh, nearly the robust batting average as these first two. It's only 305. Uh, the on-base is only 430. Uh, and the slugging is only 650. So he's really lagging behind, obviously, um, in what he's doing. But in all seriousness, uh, 21 home runs, 14 doubles. Um, those are highs for him as well. 17.7% K rate against 17 uh, 17% walk rate. Um, he has 12 stolen bases this year. And I noticed uh, he's a he's a junior, draft eligible junior. He has 37 total stolen bases out of 38 attempts in his college career. So a guy that um, when I see numbers like that, the the one person that I always think about is like a Chipper Jones because Chipper was never fast, but he was all especially like in his prime, he was always a good base dealer. He understood how to get a good jump, how to read a pitcher, and just like take extra base. And this may also be the third baseman like clouding my my judgment as well. But when I see numbers like that, it's like oh, he's not going to be a burner, but a guy that can steal you double digit bases and is successful overall you know that shows a little bit of prowess a little bit of extra value there so Braden taylor tcu what else can we know about about him yeah yeah he was uh he was a big 12 freshman of the year and he was a guy had a good sophomore year last year he was a guy coming into this year that uh i, I did the big uh a big 12 preview and he was he was my pick uh for player of the year i mean i think he's one of the better just like peer hitters uh, in, in the college class, he is very patient, waits to do damage, um, you know, 47 walks, uh, and he just, I've, I've watched a few TCU games and he just never chases, um, isn't, sometimes doesn't swing on pitches where it's like, it seems like you should be swinging at that, but I think he's just got, you know, really great eye at the plate and, you know. 21 home runs is, is impressive in a college season, you know, 50 something games. And it just kind of speaks to, he finds his, he waits for his pitch. He'll take a walk, but once he gets his pitch, he's, he, he'll, uh, he'll barrel it up. Um, Jake, I don't know if you saw a video of, of Taylor, if you watched any of Taylor's games. Um, I want to, I'm going to miscredit cause I was, I was switching between a couple of different, um, places to find video. And I want to say this was prospects live. If it, if it's not, I really apologize. Um, but it was Braden Taylor on the um, U.S. like national team in 2022, and it was just like some some highlights of there. And his swing, even though this was like behind the catcher, so it wasn't like an open side view, but his swing his swing was so fluid. And yes, he's a lefty, so we always kind of give that aesthetic benefit of the doubt to the left-handed hitters. But it was so fluid, it kind of. Um, made me think about like how people love um Pete Crow Armstrong's swing and like those sorts of lefties of just being very fluid, not a whole lot of moving parts. Um and, and just again, everything he's hitting, it seems like he's hitting hard. He's making good contact. Um and again, that was just some quick video, not a deep dive, but uh somebody that definitely has piqued my interest. I, I'll tell you that much. Um so Braden Taylor out of TCU. And also it seems like just, you know, position wise, while we're talking about that, seems like he's good to stick at third base. Seems like he 
um, meets at least the the minimum sort of criteria as far as arm strength, um, general footwork, et cetera, that one would look for at, as a third baseman. So that's always um, beneficial to know as well that he, at least right now, doesn't seem like he would necessarily be getting moved um, off position there. So those are the hitters. We have um, some pitchers on the list here. No pun intended, pitcher list. Anyways, um, Kiefer Lord, 70 grade. I'm throwing out a 70 grade baseball name right there, right? Just top notch. Uh, right-hander for Washington. Um, my intrepid co-host, Jake, has get, gotten me the stats. And interesting, interesting stat line here because this is a guy that I wonder, Bradley, if his he's another one where the stuff outpaces what the production is because production is not super impressive right now. Uh, 72, 72 and a third innings pitch and 14 starts five sixty ERA 1.29 whip 75 K's against that 75 K's and 72 and a third innings pitch. So that's not too pretty. Um, that equals 9.3 K K nine and 2.12 walks per nine. So not like a sparkling resume just looking at the stat line. But I've seen Lord's name mentioned, and that's why I put him on this list as like a stuff guy. So Bradley, is is that just what's going on? Is just the disconnect between his stuff and the production, or maybe I shouldn't have had him on his list at all. No, I th- I think I think he's a good name to have. He's a he's a fun one to talk about. He's very cool story. He transferred to Washington from Carleton College, which is a tiny D3 school in, I think, Minnesota. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. Um, But with him, so two things. One, he's on here most likely because he sits 93, 96, up to 98, 99, which is, you know, electric on its own. And he has a a pretty solid slider, I think up to like 85. And then, you know, kind of a, a curveball that's, I think, average to slightly above average uh the last time i i I read up on him um and so that alone i mean three pitches to work off of uh is is a good start uh, for a draft prospect and then if you're looking at the stat line he he i think he started the year really strong and has faded late because i think he had one start uh a few weeks ago against stanford the very talented team where he went like eight innings uh like 10 k's and then I think five of the other six or something like that, he got like lit up and gave like six plus runs, really kind of tanked his season stats. And like that happens. And it's it's also like part of it's maybe, you know, he doesn't walk guys. And if he doesn't have a secondary and he's just throwing fastballs, I mean, in the zone, uh, I think some guys are going to tee off, especially in the West Coast. So I think he's an interesting name. Plus just the fact that he jumped effortlessly for the most part from – D3 to D1 uh, is, is a really cool story as well. Yeah, when he when he made that jump, he also um, had like a huge increase in, in velocity too. I'm looking at a profile that was done on him by the Yakima Herald Republic um, that covers the, the University of Washington community up there. And um, it's, you know, it's saying that he averaged 81 miles per hour fastball out of high school and in his first year at the, at D, at the D3 school. Bumped it up to 90 during the pandemic, um, went to work and and had a huge improvement there his second year at um, 
Carlton averaged 90. And then uh, since he's transferred, like you said, he's averaging in like, you know, mid to upper 90s. And so I think, you know, someone like that who has like put in a ton of work to improve the fastball um, is really good to see um, in this in this piece. They they interview like his coaches and his pitching coach and, and just they all talk about how um, how he's constantly wanting to learn and tweak things and improve. And that's like really good to see from, you know, it's like now when he's like, oh, he went to driveline, always, you know, working to improve his spin rates and all this stuff. And it's like a really big part of, I think, pitching development now is like what happens when you're in the off season or like not under team control um, necessarily. And, and kind of what it takes to constantly tinker with your pitch mix until it's right. Because we see that pitching prospects come out of nowhere sometimes once they unlock the right mix and maybe add a little bit of velocity and and whatnot. So seeing someone who's kind of already gone through that process and, you know, maybe it's like, okay, like how much more can he, can he grow? But um, just seeing where he's come from is, is super impressive. And, um, you know, it, he doesn't have even the big strikeout numbers that some of these guys with bad, bad, you know, stat lines do. And um, but you can see kind of where the improvement has gone and how he could get there. And so I think that a, you know, a team is going to see him as a as a good project, someone who has a good projectability and, um, you know, kind of roll with that. I think I don't even know if we're going to be talking about him as a FYPD pick, but he I think he will be someone to watch in his kind of first starts in, in uh, you know, low A and high A as someone who could be a quick riser if he kind of continues to make adjustments and find what works for him. And I wonder, that's a really, I, I like how you encapsulated that, um, Jake, because I think if you take what we see right now, right, and if you were to have an FYPD draft right, like right now for some strange reason, absolutely, right? It's like, it's, you know, it's normally going to be, what, five rounds, seven at the most? Like, no, you don't need to waste a draft pick on this guy. But what happens if, you know, he gets drafted and you have FYPD that's kind of more standard, right? November, December, January, February, like around that time, right, in the offseason. And between now and then, he gets drafted. He throws a handful of innings for whatever his team is. We get a little bit of data maybe. Um, and, the, the you know, the pitch quality uh, uh, metrics and the the models really like his stuff. They tweak a little bit. Now we get you know the, now it's a little tantalizing, right? Because uh, again, looking at um his uh line seventy two and the third innings, and for most pitchers, especially college pitchers, like once they get drafted, if they pitch at all the same season, they're not logging a lot of innings, obviously. So it's not going to be enough, but it might be just enough to give you a taste, right? He gives just a, enough. Like, oh, maybe there is something a little bit more. And now you have to start to consider maybe he's my dart throw in the third or fourth round, right? Maybe he's that one guy that I'm like, hey, I got my stars, you know, I got my or potential stars. But, you know, it's third, fourth, fifth round, end of the draft. Let me just take a dart throw on this guy. Kiefer Lord could be that person. So it'll be very interesting, I think, to see how he does, if he does pitch at all, um, how he looks as a professional once he um, does get drafted. Uh, Moving on, we have two Florida pitchers. Uh, I kind of mushed them together. So we have Hurston Waldrop. We have Brandon Sprout. um, And Waldrop, we want to give kind of a bridge numbers here. So Waldrop, uh, a little bit under uh, 80 80 innings pitched, uh, does have, again, higher ERA and a high whip, um, 4.83 and 1.4 respectively. But, a lot of strikeouts, 117 Ks. Uh, Sprout, 84 innings pitched, high <laughs> ERA as well. Um, whip a little bit lower, and 106 Ks. 
So with both of these guys, um, I know Sprote was kind of making some waves last year. At least he's the name that I remember a little bit more than Waldrip last year um, before he was draft eligible. Just kind of, you know, what's the general rundown of both these Florida pitchers? Um, obviously, there there are a few tiers below the guys that we had talked about before. But um, Bradley, what you know, what what can we kind of take away from knowing about either one of these guys? Yeah, yeah. So Sprout's their Friday night guy, um, and he actually he was drafted last year and decided not to sign and come back. Mm-hmm. And there we go. Yeah, so that's probably why why he rings a bell. And you know, he's he's got uh, he's up to one hundred on his fastball, um, and I think. I think what what brings him down a notch is it doesn't play like it's a hundred from what I've seen from from different scouts where it's like, you know, it, it doesn't move as much as as you might want it to. And so, and his off speed out of these two, Waldrip, sorry, kind of jumping back and forth. Sprout's got you know fastball up to a hundred, decent off speed, um, kind of a, a veteran. Waldrip was at Southern Miss last year, transferred to Florida. He had a much better year last year, and I think a part of it is he has some of the best off-speed stuff in the country by far. Like three, he has feel for three pitches. Um, you know, slider, uh, splitter. You know, whatever. He's got multiple off-speed pitches. They're all good. And this year, he's been throwing you know the fastball a lot more. And he's get he's gotten lit up a bit more, and you know it's it's kind of led to those things where it's like, oh, we know this guy has this stuff, kind of like Dolander we talked about earlier. We know he has this great stuff. What's this? You know, why are these numbers not matching up? And I think it's one of those things where, again, I don't think scouts, front office people, they're going to see him and be like, there's so much upside here. Like this is a, a complete profile. So I think Waldrop's, you know, Sprouts. I think he's going to end up being like a senior sign. Um, Still talented guy, uh, but definitely Waldrop's the the one I'd keep an eye on more. Interesting. So Spro kind of has the. It sounds like you're describing the Hunter Green fastball. Um, of uh, not uh, to I'm not to throw shots, Jake. I'm sorry. I th- I said that and I was like, that's offensive to Jake. I apologize. Um, but yeah, you know, just like high high velo, but it ain't going anywhere. But right down the middle, essentially. Um, so that's interesting to to know and kind of keep in mind. Now, with you talking about Waldrip, now we just saw, and I'm not saying it's apples to apples, but again, just kind of thinking about it, we've seen uh, at the major league level, Gavin Stone, you know, change up his, you know, just, you know, chef's kiss, but doesn't have enough as far as fastball or really anything else to go off of, got shelled. He actually just, you know, got news that he was actually getting demoted back down to AAA. Um, is there any sort of concern that Waldrop could be in a similar path of like great all speed stuff, but without that fastball to really, you know, maximize what he's doing in all speed, he becomes kind of more of a sitting duck. I think, I think when I, when I was talking more about Waldrop's, um, you know, fastball issues, it's more just, he's, he's, it seems like some of the pitch calling stuff uh, for him this year has been, not as good as it was at Southern Miss in terms of playing to his strengths. He's up to, I think, 97 on his fastball. So he doesn't, and it's, I think it's a, a above average fastball. Um, and I think 
watching him, I, I haven't seen a lot of him this year versus last year, but watching him last year, I saw a few starts where he just absolutely carved up lineups with, you know, he'd have the off-speed work in, and then he'd just blow a fastball by you, um, like up and in, just – uh, he's, he's a fun, when he's fully on, he's, he's really fun to watch. I put him up there with the other guys in, in terms of just pure, like, oh, this is a pitcher that's just dominated. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's as much of a worry. I think the fact that he has three off-speed pitches that he has good feel for is something that is, is, uh, shows a lot of promise. And what you were saying with the, with the change up Lamar, I think is really interesting because I think it's becoming a bigger conversation right now in 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 pitching prospects is like the change up first guys you know like uh grayson was a big change up guy um you know gavin stone it's his primary offering uh, you know secondary offering um and what those guys kind of have to to do to to be successful and uh miss bats at at the major league level um but we're also seeing there's been a lot more guys that are having success with splitters specifically. And I wonder what the, this is probably a much bigger conversation than any of us have researched for this podcast, but um, you know, kind of like what the key difference is there and why, you know, we're looking at one pitch is like, Ooh, like maybe be careful with those guys. And you know, where the splitters like Joe Ryan just introduced one this year and took off. Um, you know, Kevin Gosman has been the kind of like the poster child for this. And it's generally a very hard pitch to control and, and be consistent with. Um, Tyler Maley has been one of those guys that has been really kind of like up and down with the splitter and whatnot. And so um, it's really interesting that Waldrip is someone who features a, a split, a splitter specifically. You know, it's not a it's not a change that people are like, I yeah, know that's that's a split finger fastball. And so um I think it just makes him more interesting to me, like how that's going to play. And if, you know, that's going to be a, a different kind of situation than maybe a Gavin stone, um, who's more of a traditional change up circle change guy. Um, so yeah, I think it's just kind of like a, a microcosm of this larger conversation about those two pitches and, and how, um, people are playing for him. Cause there's been guys that drive line. I think it was, you know, Saris on rates and barrels recently said how, um, one of his contacts at driveline was saying that like most pitchers could benefit from using a splitter. It's just that guys are kind of hesitant to to do it because of the kind of general um, uh, what, what I'm looking for here, but just like thoughts about how difficult of a pitch it is. So um, really interesting that we're seeing a college guy with that, because I don't think that that's, that's too common here. So, just to round out and, and to to bring us home, we have one last pitcher, and this is a name that I had not seen before at all, um, but I was just kind of looking through some different lists and trying to find some, you know, mid, mid-tier, mid so to speak, um, players that, uh, again, are going to be represented uh, at the regionals. And this is Waron Watts-Brown uh, out of OK State, another right-hander. Uh, 78 innings pitched in 16 games, 14 of them were starts. Uh, five and a half ERA, 1.38 whip, 117 Ks. So that's good for uh, 13 and a half K per nine, but walks 5.42 walks per nine. So it definitely seems like there's a command control situation going on there. Um, what do you know about Watts Brown? Yeah. So this is guy, he's at Long Beach state um, as a freshman through a no hitter there actually. Uh, and then transferred to Oklahoma State. Um, they were replacing, basically replacing Justin Campbell uh, at the the top of their rotation there. 
and yeah, he's been he's been a little inconsistent this year. Uh, the walks is is a good indicator of that. He's had some some tough starts. Um, but you know, it's a four pitch mix, uh, and he's I think he's he's low nineties right now. But there's there's room to grow. Um, and you know, I think it's slider, uh, curve, changeup. Um, and so feel for four pitches. Uh, and you know not necessarily finding all the results with them right now, but showing flashes of like, okay, this is a guy that can put it all together. Um, so he's, he's a fun one to watch for sure. Cool. So yeah, I just wanted to, like I said, throw, throw one sort of like wild card um, into the mix there. Uh, so those are the names. Obviously we'll have them all in uh, our rundown for you in the show notes uh, for you guys to, to be able to bookmark uh, yourself and, and, pay attention to the games again we're recording tuesday night uh the 30th of may so by the time you guys hear this regionals will be underway we'll see what's what and and who's doing um you know who's who's making an impact uh and we'll probably return once more to this group and some other names uh once we do our mob draft uh podcast later on in the summer um so with that you know it's, it's promo time bradley we talked about where they can find you on twitter um, is it Twitter primarily or are there any other places you're writing or, or, or recording pods or any other content? Yeah, primarily, primarily Twitter. You'll find, you'll find all my stuff there, uh, at Friday starters. Perfect. Uh, Jake, I know you just had your stash list article come out. Um, good stuff there. Any, any sort of, uh, interesting little tidbits that you found from this past week, um, as far as prospects to stash? Um, I don't remember anything that jumped out at me quite as much this week, but something that I did not expect that just happened today is that AJ Smith Shaver yes. was called up to the big leagues. Yes, I think there was. was, I mean, that's, that's crazy. He's, he's 20 years old. He was the youngest pitcher in AAA by like two years when he was there for two starts. Um, and he, I, I didn't expect that he would get called up so quick. I think the assumption was like, Oh, well they want to, probably get him out of the southern league with like the tacky ball as a lot of teams have been doing um oh yeah he'll be in he'll be in triple a for a while and you know but he it was not in triple a for a while he went right up to the big leagues after two starts in triple a so um he's gonna be he's gonna be so fun to watch um i haven't seen quite yet the news just dropped this afternoon i think so i haven't seen when exactly he's gonna be pitching but and there's um, he'll be one to watch he he will be and it seems like there's some um, it's, it's still unsure whether he's going to be coming out of the bullpen to start or not. So it may not be, you know, immediately penciled into the starting rotation. So that's something else to keep uh, an eye on. They do have Mike Soraka back. Um, so he's finally returned back from his sort of long progression from his um, injury issues that he's had over the past couple of years. Uh, so, you know, Braves, pitching staff kind of getting healthy ish and now they have uh you know kind of a, an overabundance um it'll be interesting to see with smith over essentially just telling spencer strider hold my beer um anything you can do i can do better <laughs> <laughs> which i think is fascinating that's lofty expectations but, there lamar <laughs> well well i'm just i'm just i'm just saying from the progression of right, 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 from yeah. from low a to and the major yeah. leagues it was like strider was like oh i'll hit all four levels in one year and smith strider was just like oh i can do that even faster 
Yeah. Um, I mean, so, you, it's rare that you see three levels in one season, yeah. especially for a pitcher. Um, but he's going to be at, at four. That's, I mean, that's bad as a 20 year old. I mean, that's just, it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, let's see. And I went back and looked at the, at the actual article that I wrote this week. And um, from his first triple A start to his second triple A start, he improved his swinging strike, CSW zone contact rate. Um, I mean, it's like he really honed in his arsenal. He added two more pitches in that second start. He was primarily four seam slider in the first one. Um, and then also worked in his cutter and curve in the second one, um, which got a ton of whiffs, those two pitches. And so it looks like he has a four pitch mix. Um, looks like he, he works them all in, uh, pretty well. And, um, it'll be interesting if he's in the bullpen, like maybe he does do more of the fastball slider. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe as a starter, he goes more with the with the deeper arsenal. So um, I really like looking forward to seeing. I think hopefully by the time this podcast is is put out, we have some answers, and then we'll be able to talk all about his debut or debuts if uh, he does if he's out of the bullpen next week on the next podcast. Sounds great. Um, I have uh, you know the the prospect watch list was was very fun to do. Um, looking at Kobe Lewis from Minnesota, knuckleballer. Has 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 a very unique repertoire because he's not just a knuckleballer, um, but he does have a legit one. So that's interesting at the low A level. Um, Alberto Rodriguez, who uh, I don't know, I don't know his body type. He's just very filled out, very mature. So that always kind of um, worries me when guys are kind of that filled out at still in the low A, high A level because like. He's going to pack on some more just general size as he gets up through the levels. And then what does he look like at the major league level? But he was hitting the snot out the ball, terrorized Eugene. They played a six-game series against Eugene. He hit a home run, I think, every game of the series, at least one home run. Like, they were glad to see him gone. Um, so uh, prospect watch list was very interesting this past week. Um, but as always, want to let uh, listeners or remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our picture list pods on the picture list network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of picture list for you to find, listen and subscribe. You can of course find me on Twitter at inside fastball, capital I capital F. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake Mache, M A I S H. You can find the podcast itself on Twitter as well at PL on the farm. And one more time for our guest, Bradley smart. You can find him on Twitter at Friday starters. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.